we've been in a series, if you're new, on relationships. And we're covering all different kinds of ones, but I want to put the theme verse on the screen here for us this morning to begin. Genesis 2.18, look how it reads. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, we're not talking in the context of marriage here, but the realization that God created us for relationships. There was a hole missing at creation that needed to get filled. But the challenge is is that sin entered this world and it changed relationships. And I want to show you how it did that. Genesis 3.8, the next chapter there. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was afraid and I hid. Adam and Eve, understand this, turned away from the relationship that gave them life. And they put a wall up with God. And the result of that is there is a pattern in our world today to choose to hide from relationships, those relationships that fills that hole to be need, that it's not good to be alone. See, in God's original creation, we were never to hide, and yet we hide all the time. Hiding is the norm. It's the accepted way of life now. Here are a couple of quotes here that I discovered this week. This one's from CBS News. This is from 2016. It said, The survey of more than 2,000 Americans conducted by the Harris Poll last month on behalf of the American Osteopathic Association showed that almost three-quarters, 72% of Americans experience loneliness. And for many, it's not just a -a once-in-a-while occurrence. uh, One-third said they feel lonely at least once a week. This issue of loneliness is growing, and particularly for young people. Matter of fact, here's another one. The, the, the title of the article is Why Millennials Are Lonely from Forbes. The general sur- uh, social survey found that the number of Americans with no close friends has tripled since 1985. Zero is the most common number of confidence uh, reported by almost a quarter of those surveyed. Likewise, the average number of people Americans feel they can talk to about important matters has fallen from three to two. This issue of relationships and our need, people are moving away more and more from relationships that can fill that need to not be alone. Now, I understand this, as we jump into this issue of friendships today, I'm not talking about casual friends you know, those that you can talk to the weather about and surface things, today is about friendships on a deeper level that meets that need. It's not good to be alone. Now, I've I got to say this up front. We're not called to be close to everyone. I understand that. But this is about having relationships in our circle that give life, that give life. Now, yes, my spouse is supposed to fill that hole to some degree. Not entirely. 
See, it goes beyond marriage. Matter of fact, look at what the Bible reveals about some things about friendship. I'm going to put some verses on the screen, and these aren't even the totality of all the verses. Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's speaking to friendships there. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, look at this one. We quote this as weddings, but it's way beyond marriage again. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe to him who is alone. And we hide. Now, i got to point something out. Realize, on all of these sermons that I preach on relationships, it is the potential to cause pain and discouragement. And even today when we look at our friendships. But I think here's the, the tendency. As we look at this idea of deep, close friendships, we can try to ignore it and say, you know what, I don't need them. I don't need them. Matter of fact, some have actually developed a flawed belief, and I put that in your notes, and I said it this way, a flawed conclusion, this is for followers of Christ. If I have God, I don't need people. God is the pilot, and I'm the co-pilot, and I don't need anybody else. I don't need anybody else on the plane riding with me. And matter of fact, some people go, I don't want anybody on the plane. But let me throw a question. If we don't need people in our lives, why would God have inspired the authors to write all of the one another's of Scripture? Do you realize there, there's over 50 plus one another's in Scripture that are called, and it's really pushing us toward a type of friendship that's meaningful and it's influencing in our lives. But let me show you one of those one another's from Romans 10. 12.10, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, this is talking not about husbands and wives, not talking about our devotion to our kids. This is talking relationally with each other and for those that need to take place in our lives. See, Christ I believe, is calling us, inviting us to live differently and to allow people into our lives to live out the one another's. Now, what are the possibilities, though, of a relationship that goes deep? What are the fundamentals of a relationship? So today, I I want to take uh, really a quick peek and a relationship in the Bible that I think reveals God's heart. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you can turn to 1 Samuel 18, but I'm going to give you one more verse because I chose David and Jonathan to look at this relationship real quickly this morning. But I chose it because men probably struggle more in terms of deep relationships than women do, I think to a certain degree. 
Now, I, I could have used a passage like uh, Ruth, and I'll put it on the screen for Ruth and Naomi. Look how this one reads. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be ever so severely if even death separates you and me. An example of two women who loved each other profoundly. But today, Jonathan, the son of a king, and David, a sheep herder. Now, I I need to give you the context before we jump into 18 here. Chapter 17, you'll remember and you know the story that David, a young man who loves God and has this faith of God, he joins the war, he joins the army, and he goes out and he kills Goliath. Remember, Goliath was that massive soldier who was mocking God and the people of Israel. And after that event, King Saul then invites David to his place to meet with David. And this is where we pick it up in chapter 18. Look how it reads, verse 1. As soon as he has finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. House. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan meets David, and this friendship, deep friendship, is formed. So understand, again, where we got to go, this idea of relationship, and this is not about marriage. See, we were created for relationship beyond the husband-wife relationship. It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for a woman to be alone. It's not good for a young adult to be alone. It's not good for a middle schooler to be alone. This applies to the totality of all people. And this friendship here gives us some insight, though, into fundamentals of what this friendship can look like. Now, the first point here. In your notes, it's not necessarily explicit to this text. You'd have to go over kind of all the passages, the whole narrative. But I said it this way, number one. Friendships that make a difference are based on a mutual commitment to God. If you are a Christ follower, friendships with another Christ follower have the opportunity to provide something unique, profoundly unique. Here, David, at a young age, he was committed to God, to walk with God, committed to serve God and to love God. And in this story, he connects with Jonathan. Now, I am convinced this, that Jonathan also had a heart for God. And if you look through, you see that coming out. He was about following God. He he was a man of integrity. And Jonathan had a spiritual lens on his eyes where he knew that God was at work. Matter of fact, he actually looked at David and said, David, you're special. I know that God is working in your life. 
And these two men then begin this close friendship. And guys, we are called and invited to do the same thing. And women, you are called and invited to have a good relationship, a close relationship with other women as well. And in that, when you begin to take two people that are committed to walk with God, something happens. Matter of fact, let me put it for your notes. I said it this way. To have a friend that is committed to walk with you toward Christ is a blessing of profound importance, profound value. I think we underestimate the potential of this. See, the goal to walk with somebody else, for a brother to come into my life and to look to present me complete in Christ, there is something deeply biblical about this issue. And I could still be married and have a a number of brothers in my life. But uh, let me just go down a path here if you're single here today. And, you know, even for you that might be in the dating world. Part of the desire to want to be married from a young age is to fill that hole. It's not good to be alone. But realize this. God, do you know this, that God does not command us to marry? There really isn't anywhere in Scripture that he commands and tells us that we have to marry. Matter of fact, Paul points it out that it actually can be a gift. That God actually blesses singleness. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 7, I'm not going to go there. Paul devoted his entire life to the gospel, going and making disciples. And he implies in 1 Corinthians 7 that he would not have been doing it as well if he had had a wife with him. So I understand this. We must not glorify marriage over singleness. And we do sometimes in the church, and it's wrong. So if you're single and you're, you're moving into a relationship, and I think of, you know, toward a, a deeper friendship with the opposite sex, uh, one of the things you need to hear is that be careful as you look at those people. Will, are they moving in the same place spiritually for you? Are they going part, to partner with you in a sense of looking to present you complete in Christ? Because if they're not, if they're moving in a different place spiritually, and this applies to whatever age, is bad company corrupts. A proverb. And realize they can take you down a path that God never wants, never intended. Now, I think of the dating world. You know, Andy was my oldest And yeah, he started showing interest in young women. And and, uh, one of the first questions we talked about was, what's her heart? Does she have a heart for Christ? Where's she at spiritually? His senior year, he was into the first year of college. He was dating a young gal. And and I had to go to him and ask, Andy, will, will she be a partner with you? He knew he was going toward youth ministry. Will she partner and present you complete in Christ in that? Now, um, I'll be honest, I was very pointed with my children, my son and my daughter. I didn't want them to marry a nice person. 
I, I wanted them to be marrying somebody that was moving toward Christ. And, and so we had conversations about that. And, you know, working in college and career ministries over the years, I, I watched way too many young men and women not guard their hearts and get involved in friendships that, that actually took them in the wrong direction spiritually. And those results just were not positive. Parents, have you had conversations with your children about this issue of friendships and what it means about where they're headed, where they're at spiritually? You know, this past Monday, I, uh, a couple drove up from Brainerd, and he's one of these Jonathans in my life. You know, David and Jonathan, we've, we've been close for a lot of years and we don't connect often, but when we do connect, but he wanted to come up. He's in his 50s right now, and he's moving toward marriage. He's in a relationship right now, and he wanted to just sit down and ask me a bunch of questions. So they, both of them came up, and I had lunch with them. But it was interesting because I know Mark well enough. We're close enough that I'm confident of this, that no matter who he would look at in terms of getting married, he would find somebody that was walking with him and ministering for the kingdom. And I told him that. The, the gal that he's dating is a woman that her first husband died of AIDS and her second husband died of a massive heart attack. And I've known this woman over the years and understand this, God has taken her life and used those experiences and she is continually ministering to women who are in pain. And God has used her profoundly. But they are like-minded in their spiritual movement. Just like Jonathan and David. So the idea there, we got to pursue friends who are looking that will present us complete in Christ. But there's another piece to this, another foundational issue here. Number two for your notes, I said it this way. Friendships that make a difference in our lives are moving towards sacrificial love. Uh, there, there's sacrifice involved in these kind of friendships. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This devotion, the, the affection toward another. Now, this love here is not agape love. This is actually a friendship-type love on this one. And, and so there's this commitment to be deep-rooted friends. But now, it is interesting. I had to look up the word love in terms of Jonathan and David. And, and the Hebrew word is ahab. And it's actually a combination word from grace, kind of the, the agape love, and the, the friendship love. It's kind of a combo of the two in the summary of that. But what you see is a sacrificial dynamic taking place between Jonathan and David. Matter of fact, let me show you how it, it's demonstrated. Look at verse 4. I'll put that on the screen. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, we have to understand what was just done here. Jonathan was elevating David over himself. He actually was sacrificing his position as the king's son, knowing that David was going to be very important. 
it was sacrifice. So he takes off his robe, his belt, and, and even to go farther in the picture here, these things represented Jonathan's identity. He was the king's son. He was the soldier. And, and by the way, Jonathan wouldn't have had the cheap gear. Jonathan would have had the best sword, the best robe. And he takes it off and he gives it to David. Do you get the picture of the sacrifice that was taking place on that level? You know, I, I look at our day, and because there's a friendship that's bonding, somebody, well, some of you take your most favorite gun and you give it to your friend. Or maybe you take the keys to your 4x4 four four and they need a vehicle and you go, here, take it. I got a 2000 minivan. Ta- take it. <laughs> but you got to catch one other piece here. He was giving, Jonathan was giving to David without expecting nothing back. See, there's Nothing in this narrative at all, when you go through it, that Jonathan was looking to get something from David. So I I need to remind you of something that applies to friendship here. Uh, Remember, for your notes, when people give toward others and are expecting something back, it will often lead to friendships that stay on a very surface level. It's giving to get. And that takes place... In marriages, it it takes place in friendships. And you will never have a friendship that goes to a Jonathan and David level when there's taking involved. It'll limit it, the level that it can go to. But let me throw a hard question out as an application question. Are, Are you a friend that often expects something back from your friends? It's limiting the depth that you can go to. There's a third element, though, here in this relationship. Number three, I want to point this out. A friendship that makes a difference will move toward giving care and even spiritual protection. There's both a caring aspect and a protecting aspect of it. Now, I I won't go to it, but the rest, actually, of chapter 18 tells of the trouble developing between David and King Saul. You remember the story, maybe if you haven't read in a while, Saul gets really jealous of David. You know, David was killing, Saul was killing thousands, David ten thousands, and Saul is jealous, and his rage and his manipulation is being directed at David. And that experience pushed David and Jonathan together. Look how chapter 19 reads, though. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding. Stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done, he has benefited, it benefited you greatly. 
He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do a wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? So understand here's protecting. Jonathan was protecting David, but also this is physical protection. But understand it is a type of friendship like this also moves into the spiritual world as well. It's looking at another person and going, how am I going to present you complete in Christ? And part of that may be protection. See, earning the right to speak, maybe even some hard things in our, into the, another person's life. Let me show you a couple verses. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, willing to get, when things are hard, to come together and work it out together. You know, for young people who are still at home, one of the questions, do you know that if mom and dad, if they're a true friend, they're actually going to be looking out for you? See, real biblical friends look out for their friends. I think the challenge, if our friendships are shallow, though, then we avoid, we don't say things. And and at times, I I think what happens in friendships, if they're not deep enough, is that we throw up walls and we hide and we're offended by what people say. See, if people are really at this level of of a David and Jonathan, they listen. They listen. The natural man says, stay away. The Spirit says, no, allow that other person into my life and speak to the soul. Look at Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful is the one that actually might need to wound us in order to spiritually protect us. Do we have those in our lives? Again, not everybody, but do you have one or two or three in your life right now? Friends, enter our lives and care. Look at 1 Samuel twenty forty one. Interesting picture here of David and Jonathan. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone, and he bowed down before Jonathan three times, and with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other, and they wept together, but David wept the most. What was going on here? David's grief was over how his very own father was trying to kill his best friend. The the, the anguish of, my dad is trying to kill my best friend. And I'm convinced that David was weeping over Jonathan's disappointment. See, when a friend hurts, that other, the friend hurts with them. You know, my wife is my best friend. When she hurts, I hurt. When I hurt, she feels it and is with me. But it's not just a marriage thing. Now, I I could add a bunch of issues here. Another, I, I wish I had the time to dig even more here. But how do you make a friend then? What if you're stuck and you go, I just don't have any close friends in my life? Maybe besides my spouse. Let me just give you a couple pieces here real quickly. How do you become a friend? Number A there. You've got to open your life up to people. 
See, the hardest is you go back to the garden and go, hide. See, the fear of people really seeing us as we are. And I would encourage you to pray that God would open your eyes to the possibilities of a friendship that can present you complete in Christ. Um, One of the challenges, I'll be honest with you, for me, in the pastoral world, there is a great tension of having close friends in the churches that they are a part of. There's a certain fear built into it. One is that we put expectations on ourselves, and, but we also feel the weight of other people's expectations. So pastors are kind of notorious of not having close friends. So I, I know many of them who just don't have any. Matter of fact, maybe you're a leader and you understand this. The nature of being out in front, if you're leading, is that oftentimes people will shoot you in the back. That's just the way it is. If you're leading, you've got to get over that. But it does, it pushes people to become untrusting. Or some of you have had friends and you've been wounded and there's been great hurt from a friend. And then what do we do? Let's step back and I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm just going to hide. It's just Jesus and me. See, do we really want to get hurt? And yet, the benefit to press through that, to trust God in that is profound. So there's another thing that you need to do, letter B. Be an initiator of relationships. See, David came into the king's house, and I think this, Jonathan was the one initiating to David. See, it would have been pretty uncomfortable going into the king's house at this point. He was very young at the time. And Jonathan moves toward him. See, if we never get close enough to people, we'll never have a friendship like this. Look at Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. How do you sharpen each other if you're never close enough to do this? Iron can only sharpen if it's direct contact with each other. See, that's friendships. That's a friendship verse there. We get to to grind each other's hard parts off. See, whether you're a man or a woman, if you don't put yourself in a place where you actually can make friends, you're stuck. So at times, you need to sign up for a class. You need to join a DNA group. You need to invite a mentor into your life. You need to maybe mentor somebody. The chilly, even the chilly night here is an opportunity not just to hear Pastor Bass. It's here to connect with another person that you actually might form a relationship with. Sunday morning. You recognize one thing about Sunday morning? It's not the best place to develop deep relationships won't happen beyond. They just stay casual if this is the only spot that we meet with people. See, God invites us to something different in the area of friends. But let her see, I got to point this out. Realize that you have something to offer. You really do. And, And too many say this, oh, they've got to a place, they've been hurt and wounded, and they go, 
I, had, I don't, just don't have anything to offer people. And I go, if you believe that, Satan is lying to you. If you are made in the image of God, and if the Holy Spirit is within you, you have something to offer people. You were made to be with another person because it's not good to be alone. And realize that when Eve was created, there's a reciprocal thing. Why? It filled something. But as the world expanded, people also fill that same void. And if we have Christ in us, we have something to offer. You know, if we really believe that, we had nothing to offer as an adult. Uh, if you're a parent, I go, why do you have kids then? You have nothing to offer your kids? You, you catch the point. You do. God is working in you. And you have something to offer, and it's you as a friend. Now, I, I, I can't, wish I could go farther here, but just one last piece Letter D, if you're struggling with it, this is the start. You need to become a friend who gives by first becoming a friend of Jesus. In order for you to give, it's wrapped up into your identity, and if you can walk toward Christ and he becomes your ultimate friend, you will have something to offer. See, Jesus then becomes the source of the ultimate one to fill that hole. And he then gives us the capacity to be a friend to another person. You know, if people perceive you as somebody that's kind of giving to get, the strong likelihood is that the issue is with your identity with Christ. You really never bonded with him where he's meeting that deepest need. And you don't understand the love of the Father which meets the need, which then gives us the ability to go to another friend and give and to help present them complete in Christ and to fill that hole and void in, in, their, in their lives to not be alone. It starts with our relationship with God. And we're going to go down there one of the Sundays and we're going to hit that pretty hard in a few weeks. But here's where I, I would encourage you. I'll end with this. You might be lonely. And you may not be lonely. And if you're not lonely, here's where I challenge you. Maybe you're supposed to be filling somebody else's hole. That is lonely. And you actually get the opportunity to present them complete in Christ. Or if you're lonely, it's it stopping saying, God, would you fill that hole first? A and ask him to help you believe that you have something to offer to others that's dynamic, that can make a difference in somebody else's life. Consider becoming a friend of another person that makes a difference for the kingdom of heaven. Let's stand and pray.